Welcome to Epinephrance, Episode 4, Keeping It Open. Epinephrance is a mature podcast for adults, even though I may have the maturity level of a kumquat or possibly a five-year-old. It is still involving adult topics, which may be sensitive for young ears. Please listen accordingly. Also, the stories that you hear are told by medical professionals, but these stories will be altered from the original. Furthermore, if you do have medical questions or medical queries, don't take our advice. Please see your actual medical doctor. And now, episode four. Here, Holiday 76, here's your tackle box. This one has ketamine in it. This one has some crack in it. Here's a little mushroom right here. It doesn't taste very good, so stick it inside of a strawberry or the final would be like, you have to make phone calls until you're like <laughs> properly scheduled for a colonoscopy or like... We've got the hog, it's more mean in, it's been a, quite a bump of crop this year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, it's okay that 5% have animal leakage, have you experienced that? <laughs> We were taught on the first day of medical school to ask open-ended questions to allow patients to tell their own stories. This works for the vast majority of patients, and most veteran EPs start here. This technique only works, however, in sane patients. As most readers know, the ED is the best place on the planet for interesting stories, and open-ended questions sometimes leads to interesting but useless information. Don't get me wrong, I'm not advocating against such questions. It's just that sometimes taking my patients' histories sounds like listening to a drunk friend explaining a weird dream. It obviously made sense to them, but confusion seeps in during the retelling. Friend, Okay, I was in the attic at my mom's old apartment complex, but it was also a submarine. You, uh-huh. Friend, and the cat I had when I was in kindergarten was there, but the cat was also my brother wearing a Gumby shirt for some reason. Oh, and he was a mermaid. Right. Friend. And then my piano teacher's cousin burst into flames, but it was fine because we were playing Guitar Hero at the time? You. There's a point here, right? And, like the insane stories I get from my patients, the answer is no. No. There is no point. I enjoy listening to my psychotic, acid-tripping patient maniacally yammering about his feet burning after he tried to perform a barefoot rain dance in his garage after pouring Drano on the ground. Unfortunately, trying to pry that story out of him in less than 40 minutes required several interruptions and focused, not open, questions. The ED occasionally feels like a battle of logic in a world where common sense has not only died, but has also been autoclaved to ashes and is snorted by whiny teenagers. Am I being ridiculous? This is where I normally go into a top 10 list of infuriating behaviors of irrational patients. Instead, I will turn this into a reverse rant and will give you my worst nightmare. All of them, combined. Another case where open-ended questions might not be the best choice. Hello there, Jimmy. What brought you to the ED today? <laughs> the, the ambulance. Wow. Oh, can you tell me what happened? It started after my brother and I finished racing. And that was? Go-karts. It was go-karts we were racing. Right. Uh, tell me more. It was like a minute ago, and he had the General Lee out since we got the governor off it, so... Uh, a minute? <sighs> he dramatically sighs while putting down his phone and actually making eye contact for the first time. About two weeks, then it went away, but it started up again. 
What, what, what went away? H how long has whatever it is been going on? A minute. Did you take anything for it? Yeah, I took the round white pill, and then I tried the blue one. Didn't work. So, are you here for an accident or pain? Which pills? I'm still somewhat lost on- It's all in the computer! Why you're here is in the computer? Should be. I was here earlier, but I left. Uh, uh, uh. I mean, I was hungry, and the nurse was taking forever with her coding or whatever. A, a patient was coding? That means they were dying. Well, yeah, whatever. So was I without my sandwich. <sighs> Alright, I'll stop before you claw your own eyes out from remembering your own personal Jimmy. Maybe I'm being a little hard on open-ended questions, but you get it. When facing your own personal Jimmy, remember to focus the laser of questions on the pertinent facts. I'll readily agree that this technique should never be attempted by med students and probably not by interns either. And, if that doesn't work, maybe sit back and enjoy a nice crazy story about your ex-landlord and his Wookiee. Episode 4 of the Friends. This uh, episode is Question for Your Question. Interesting stories and questions that have happened in the ER with interesting responses and things that can frustrate you in the ER. My name is Jacob Barnett, and I'm an emergency physician assistant and have been for the past nine years. I was going to talk about my most annoying medical trope that I see on TV, and I think it's when either when someone gets shot and no one puts pressure on the wound, or when someone dies, and then like everyone just like looks at him like, oh, he's dead, and like no one like does chest compressions or like... Like, they're just like, oh, yep, he we he got hit by that arrow, and, like, I guess we're done here. Like, it's all she wrote. Like, we can't try anything at all. Um, my name's Jen James. I'm also a physician assistant in the emergency room. I've worked there for about eight years now. I think my most annoying is the fact that on every hospital show, all everyone does is hook up with each other. I don't understand how they're saving lives. Because no one has that much free time or downtime in the hospital to be hooking up with every single person they come across. My name is Casey Brandt. I'm a clinical pharmacist in the emergency department. Um, my most annoying, um, the thing I'm most annoyed about, about medical shows and whatever trope is how pharmacists are represented. They're always push over like wusses. Like I was thinking of the pharmacist in Dr. House. I think he's on the show Dr. House like twice and one of the times that like, Dr. House just bursts to the pharmacy, tells him to get out of the way and like steals a bunch of Vicodin out of the shelf and the guy's like, hey, what that? What are you doing in here? And just like lets him do it. And the other time he goes in there to get some like colchicine and compare it to another pill or something. And I think they would not do that. They wouldn't have like an open air pharmacy where people could just walk in and take breath. <laughs> yeah. like, like a farmer's market. Yeah, where you just have <laughs> <laughs> half over the little counter and like the pharmacist is working there alone like doing nothing I'm like what are you doing you got bins of secured narcotics like every pharmacy ever there's like a log book and everybody double counts them and one pill goes missing and you know everybody loses their jobs or they go crazy like I've literally like worked with pharmacists to like work in these really rough areas, people come up to the drive-thru window and, like, point a gun at them and are like, give me all the Oxycontin. And they go, no. And they walk away. <laughs> like, they're not 
you know, they're not these like pushover people who are like, oh, a doctor's yelling at me. Here's some Vicodin. So. We've, we've got the August morphine in. It's, it's a good, uh, quite a bump of crop this year if you want to try right. some of that. That's right. Oh, yes, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, they're and just. The bush it's, off. Yeah, that's right. It's like they just do nothing, people. Like I, I, I feel really underrepresented as a profession um, in these shows. I know it's okay. <laughs> we'll get there. My name is Rob Brandt. I am an ER doc. I've been an ER doc for the last twelve years, and I'd say that my my uh fa- my least favorite trope that I see. And this is this is in so many. It's especially probably in cartoons, but just which I guess you can't really expect them to be too accurate. But even on TV shows like Kill Bill, if anybody has a knife and they get stabbed with just the the most minimal just stab wound, whether it be in the chest or the abdomen or the neck or the head, they instantly die. And it's not like yeah, decapitate like you're done. Yeah, but if you get decapitated, I'll give you that one. But it's like, oh, you're stabbed in the belly, and they collapse on the ground. They're not moaning. They're not in pain. They don't like last for a second. It's just they're just dead and can't move. It's like, oh, you slashed me across my chest, and they're on the ground. And it's like, but 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 that's no. I mean, no. Yep, yep. Yeah, they got stabbed. They're dead. It's like, oh, but they're they're fine. Anywho, so. Uh, <laughs> This episode is a question for your question, Um, and this is often in the ER we have so many questions that bring other people questions and things that happen that, like, people will say things that frustrate you um, and things that, you know, people come up with things in response. So, you know, initially what we're taught, the most important thing in the ER you're supposed to do is have an open-ended question. So when you go in and you interview a patient, you're supposed to say, okay, so what brings you in here? And just keep it very general. Just this very, not like, you are here for back pain, show me where it hurts, just tell me more. And just like, oh, mm-hmm, tell me more. And in the ER, it can often lead down some dark, dark, hard places to go, or you get these people who ramble. So have you guys had any problems with open-ended questions when you give them to people in the ER? or questions that brought you somewhere that you weren't expecting to go? I think um, population-wise, when you get patients that are elderly, um, I'll sometimes ask, like, if they come in for belly pain, like, so have you ever had any, like, any issues, any chronic issues with stomach pain, diarrhea, constipation? And my favorite was this little old man, and he was almost 100 years old, and he goes, well, 1912, I stayed home from school. (laughs) Like, sir, like, have you had your appendix out, your gallbladder out? Do you suffer from chronic constipation? When was your last colonoscopy? Was it normal, abnormal? And he's like, 1912, I stayed home from school. My stomach hurt. (laughs) This is probably the same thing. Most likely, it's just that. And I'm like, I don't even remember the last time my stomach hurt. I don't know how you remember that in 1912 it did. I'm like a steel trap, like these soft kids staying home left and right, you know. (laughs) I haven't missed an appointment in my life except for that day. Still haven't forgiven myself. <laughs> wow. So I think that, that age group maybe uh, takes some of our questions too literal when we're asking for history. <laughs> well, I, w- one thing that drives me crazy is when you, you ask the patients like, okay, do you have any past medical problems? And they're like, nope, nothing. Anything at all? Nope. Okay, uh, do you take any medications? I sure do. I got these for my high blood pressure. I take this insulin for my diabetes, and I take this one, and for my cholesterol, I take this, this, this. And it's like, 
so when I asked you nine seconds ago about any medical problems, they're like, oh, no, I don't. Yeah, they're fixed. Those pills make them better. But, but you still have, oh, okay. No, that's not how it works. I had a recent one where I actually was taking care of this patient who had been seen multiple times for the same issue. It was a breathing issue, kept kind of a chronic shortness of breath, really no like vital signs were stable. Everything was looking good on them, but x-ray was having issues. Like they just were not, you know, things were not, I don't know if it was the machine or the computers or the radiologist was watching football. Uh, I wasn't able to get (laughs) my tests done. Um, And I went back in to reevaluate them. And I said, you said you're seeing your pulmonologist. When is that happening? Just to get like, you know, are we going to be able to like, you know, what what is our plan? What's our game plan from here? And she said, yeah, I'm not going to make that. What? Oh, (laughs) you're not going to make what? She's like, yeah, it's at 9.15. I was like, oh, well, it's, we, you have an hour and a half. Like, where's, where's your pulmonologist? Where, what, where, where is this? And she like told me and I was like, we can make this happen. Let's make this happen. Like, I am not going to be able to solve your shortness of breath issues. The pulmonologist will. And so, you know, even though we hadn't completed all of our studies, like the plan was for discharge, they were stable. We even like were able to find like a, like a ride for her directly to the specialist. It was like working out perfect. And then I got a call from the nurse and uh, the lady had forgot, like refused to get in the cab. What? Uh... Yeah. And I like went out and she's like, well, I just wasn't, I wasn't going to make it. I was like, but you could have called that I'm going to be four minutes late. Like we could have made, this is, oh, I have never been more frustrated in the sense that I felt like we were doing the right thing for the patient and the patient just didn't want to do it. You know, interest in joining the uh, the effort. The question was, when are you seeing that specialist? You know, and the answer was, supposedly in an hour like but can't do that (laughs) bend over backwards literally all you needed to do was stand up from your wheelchair and get into the car in front of you that was the requirement that we had for you (laughs) yeah we had done everything else so often like patients don't want to leave the er which i don't understand because it's not a quiet calming environment but i mean how many patients do we have come in that we see on a regular basis some more often than our family members um who just want to like hang out like I don't know how many times I've had a patient who has legitimately told me when I walked in the room you know what can I do for you today what can I help you with well I didn't have bus fare and I got on the wrong bus and I took the line all the way till it ended and then they kicked me off I didn't have a ride back and you guys have decent sandwiches so I called 911 and I told them I was short of breath and wanted to come here I'm like and then you hung around? Well, yeah, I got to get a room before I can get a sandwich. Wow. Have you ever tried to navigate, even somebody, you know, like myself with a decent knowledge of how medicine works and, you know, insurance and everything, like getting a problem taken care of in the outpatient setting versus 
how quickly things move and something like, you know, the emergency department, like you get results back and multiple people are taking care of you and they're trying to rule out anything life threatening. Like it is so much faster and you're working with people who are problem solvers and it is, it is just so different. Like I can see the appeal of coming in and getting seen for something in the emergency department and getting it checked out. If you're truly concerned about something versus trying to work through the outpatient system, especially if you're going to a specialist where it is just frustratingly slow. When offices are closed and oh, yeah. Yeah. in to see anybody for sometimes weeks. And those patients, by all means, like if you have a random abdominal pain or chest pain, and I can, we can do that initial evaluation mm-hmm. of labs and imaging and mm-hmm. hopefully rule out kind of the big, bad, and ugly. Mm-hmm. I'm always more than happy to do that. In the ER, we look for the things that are going to put life or limb in danger. Sometimes mm-hmm. we can other things and we can find the cause for your symptoms. But me not finding something in the ER doesn't mean that there's nothing wrong. It means that it's not these big, bad, and ugly things that we're trained to look for. And there are you know, further tests. But it's also hard, too, because when you've had chronic abdominal pain for six months, and this is your 13th ER visit, mm-hmm. Realistically, you need you need to see a GI doctor. You need to be scoped. You need to have that mm-hmm. further test. I can't get that done in the ER, mm-hmm. and that's where kind of misunderstanding too comes into how to utilize outpatient medicine. You know, sometimes you got to be annoying. Sometimes you got to call the office every single day. Yeah, and I tell people like the squeaky wheel, the one that gets oiled. So yep. don't be rude. Call the office every day and ask if they've had any cancellations. And I yep. guarantee you, if you do that, when they have a cancellation, guess who they're calling? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I call them and you say, I was in the ER. And this is mm-hmm. a follow up to an ER visit. Like you say, I was seen in the emergency department for an emergency. And this condition has become emergent. And I need to be seen for it emergently now as a follow up in your office. And we make that happen. Are there any openings and you like I said call and you call and you call but then they go I should do that yeah you should do that like and and I go I don't know if I would do that because I wouldn't want to be annoying but then if it wasn't that big of a deal and it bothered me that much I was going to the emergency department 13 times in a month it might do that yeah sometimes you have to teach people to advocate for themselves they don't teach you about it in high school maybe we should home ec and health ec Yep. Yeah. So, okay. We taught you about periods and now you've learned about what it is to be a woman. And um, now this is an insurance card and um, they're all different. It basically means nothing. Um, and you could have to pay a lot or a little, who knows, uh, prior authorizations. We're not going to talk about that because we don't have three, four weeks and um, <laughs> the system could literally change at any moment. And, and so they charge you by the hour in the ER. <laughs> or do they? Not yet. Um, and uh, Medicare, don't know if it's going to be there. Um, and uh, so basically, um, you just have to constantly fight for what you need. And it's exhausting. And it's more exhausting than having whatever XY disease itself. And uh, there you go. The final would be like, um, you have to make phone calls until you're like, <laughs> properly scheduled for a colonoscopy or like, <laughs> and it's all I'm, covered. And approved. Yeah, yeah. Had a uh, three years ago. So is this still preventative? Or is this yeah. intervention now? That's right. Or maybe that's that. That's like an opening test, and the final is like navigating the bill, like calling in and being like, uh-huh. but, 
But what is this $95 charge here for? What is that? Okay. This that was napkins? I am willing <laughs> I am willing to pay two hundred dollars and no more. <laughs> I will speak to your supervisor and your supervisor, supervisor. Well if you pay today, we'll give you fifteen percent off. Why if I That's pay today do I get fifteen percent off? Hmm. Are we running the <laughs> but they are, they do. It's crazy. They do. Yes, they will accept that. Yeah. Yes, it, people don't know you can negotiate your your bill. It's like, why can I? Why is that a thing I can do? Do you think that there's yep. anybody who's been in in healthcare for over five years who doesn't think that the system's slightly broken? Okay. No. 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 Mm-mm. So is that is that depressing that all of us are like, yeah, it's awful, it's terrible, yeah. extra leg work every. I mean, I I understand. I mean. We get frustrated with people in the ER who come in for nonsense, but on the other side of that coin, I get it. You've got a, you, you got a UTI that's been going on for two days. Yeah, you should call your doctor. It's like, I did call my doctor. They told me to come here. A- at that time, I don't argue with them because it's like, you did everything mm-hmm. right. You, did, you called yep. the doctor and they told you to come here and you came here. You're, I'm not going to get angry mm-hmm. at you. I'm a little ticked at your doctor, but people, you're, it's frustrating. It's, it's a web of confusion. One of the most noticeable things when we were all in lockdown is offices were, I felt like, making almost more of a push to kind of take care of things in the outpatient atmosphere as opposed to just sending them to the ER. And I had really hoped that they would kind of see, like, you can get some of these things done as quickly as we can. You know, your patient can go to the lab and drop off a urine. You know, if if when you screen them on the phone, they're not having fevers or, um, you know, sweats or chills, that they're they're not showing symptoms of pyelonephritis on a, you know, Friday afternoon. You don't have to send them to the ER. You can send them to a lab. They can get a urine done. And if it looks infected, you send in a prescription. Because how often, and I know this is me personally, one of my biggest frustrations is, when the department is filled with patients who have a medical problem, so not saying that they're there because they want to hang out and watch TV and we have better cable than they have at home, but, you know, have abdominal pain, they have chest pain, they have cough, they have symptoms, and someone who is really sick has to wait because we're seeing those other medical complaints. And you see multiple patients that day where someone in the outpatient setting could have easily screened some things and taken care of this patient without making them come to the ER without making them have to now pay a huge copay mm-hmm. for the emergency department because a lot of those patients do have to pay copies and they're outrageous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even when your doctor sends you in. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And it's, we're still, you know, delaying care for the true emergent mm-hmm. patients, your, you know, your strokes, your chest pains, those things. We could all do better. But it's coming up with easy, streamlined ways to get those patients, those things done. Yeah. I think the important thing is we're not delaying care for people who are truly emergent because we, you know, we're not like, sorry, you have to wait. This GP like sent somebody in for, and they kind of handle their office. It's like we didn't know they were like had something emergent going on because we didn't get them into a room and do a full like workup and everything on them and get them evaluated because there's a bottleneck because um, we have these people we don't have a good system for like you know, managing people on an outpatient basis that could be managing people, you know, in the ER that truly need to be there. We haven't haven't perfected that yet. 
gotta be sick. My hope is that telemed will help with that. That when mm-hmm. you can kind of see and talk to a patient and kind of get a better feel for what's going on, because I agree it's hard. Like when you're just hearing it through like a phone conversation. Mm-hmm. Or even through like a messaging system back and forth, like a lot can be um, kind of gleaned from the situation from the way the patient sounds, the way they look, you know, do they look ill? Do they need to be checked out? You know, or are they bubbly in their normal self and it burns a little bit when they pee or, you know. Well, we just solved all of healthcare, So let's move on to the next one. Yeah, that's right. We got it. Um, Next world piece. I think patients are given some misinformation when they get sent in too. Like a lot of patients come in, well, my doctor called ahead for me. Oh, well, right this way. You put the napkin over your arm and <laughs> so you see your room. Yeah. And it's like, you know, there's a, no expectation setting there either. Your doctor did well. Unfortunately, this person got shot in the neck. So <laughs> you're going to have to hold your roll just a sec. We're going to get you in. We don't want it to be this way either. <laughs> In terms of questions, um, sometimes I'm actually surprised how honest people are, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Like, when I when I started, like, I, I they kind of beaming into your head that you got to ask about, you know, like smoking, drinking, drug use. And what I assumed was going to be the answer to that was like, well, no, I never, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't use any drugs. And, and you do get that. I mean, you get the smokers who will say, no, I don't smoke. Well, when did you stop? You know, three days ago or, or two hours ago. So that's fine. But then, like, you get these people who are like, yeah, smoking, drinking, drug use. Like, yeah, I smoke. And, no, I do also use crack, and I uh, I use meth, and I uh, use heroin, and, uh, you know, I do some PCP and some meth. And you're like, you just tell me all that. That's, it's like, wow. It's very honest of you. Yeah. Sometimes it's shocking people. Like, the mm-hmm. people, you, you know, older individuals, who you're like, okay, you're probably past your, you know, drug DAs. And they're like, yeah, I still do a little crack now and then. You're like, what? <laughs> oh, I'm trying to remember who it was. Um. One one of our coworkers was talking about this guy who's like, yeah, you know, I'm a when I just need to pick me up to get all that laundry done, I just you know, you just do a line of coke, so give me the energy. And you're like, what? The pep in the the pep in the step. Well, I would be like, wow, that's shocking. But also, like, what it was in the 50s or 60s, like, what were we handing out like quaaludes or whatever to housewives to get them through the day of just like the monotony of washing the floorboards all day and whatever, like. Need to just float. Yeah. Washing. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, it's like, yes, laundry kind of sucks. And, you know, maybe that's the problem we need to solve. Like, <laughs> drug use would go down. <laughs> you know, they what? haven't even, they have a robot. They can fold like one sock an hour. It's like, where's the research money going into that? Like, let's get going. One of my favorite honesty questions that I ever came across was um, while I was working out in triage. We had, you know, and it's, it is surprising on how many times other people will advocate for other people. But this gentleman came up and he was like, hey, this lady's back here and she does not look good. Like she says that her stomach's hurting. She's puked two times. And I was like, okay. Um, he was like, do you have like a room that you could take her or someplace she could lie down? And I was like, yes, we do have a room. However, I was about ready to call back and what's your name, sir? Yeah. I was about ready to come back and get you. So if you want to give up your room, wow. I'd be more than happy to take that lady back. And he goes, no, I can go back to the room. <laughs> oh, oh, man. I'm so happy. No, 
No, the true honesty of the depravity of man, right oh, there. God damn. Oh, you yeah. oh, so happy for the happy, good Samaritan ending. No, yeah. no, no. I mean, everyone's always looking for another room, but everyone needs to realize that when we put someone in the room, we're not putting someone else in the room. Yeah. So there, it's it's always that decision. Sometimes you're up front and you're, you know, it's that, do I put the chest pain? Do I put the person that I'm concerned is septic? You know, it's, it's those balancing. I have three really possibly sick patients. Who am I the most worried about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Or the questions that kind of, I, I find it surprising how much, like when it comes to like the drinking drug use question, how often they think that I do everything that they do. <laughs> Like I've had more than one time where a patient, where you know, patient comes in, and they are just messed out of their mind. You know, they're picking at their things, they're kind of tweaking out, they're you're they're they're distracted, and it's just like, so did a bunch of meth? They're like, yeah, did a bunch of meth. You did a bunch of meth. You know what it's like when you do a whole bunch of meth. You feel like this, and I'm like, no, no, I don't. And then they look at me like I'm the crazy one. Like you, you don't. Like oh yeah. Especially in population that we serve, this generalized drug use is not abnormal. That they've grown up in environments where mom and dad would use in front of them, grandma used, grandpa used. So mm-hmm. in their minds, everyone does use. Yeah, it's true. It's it's not abnormal to just, you know, do your math and you just go to work if you go to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is awful because, you know, no child should have to grow up thinking that drug use is the normal, but that's... Oh, yeah. Well, I remember a story when I was in Detroit. There was, uh, you know, taking care of this, oh, gosh, like early 80s grandma. And with, with you know, heart rate was fast. And she's just like, oh, no, just me and the girls in literally in the retirement home. Me and the girls get together and we just smoke a bowl of crack together. And I was just like, you what? <laughs> <laughs> I think you get to do whatever you want after a certain age. Which night? Be fair. Smoking lectures to anybody over eighty. Seventy-five can be like the line in the sand. Like you know, you got to be like like eighteen to buy cigarettes, twenty-one to smoke, maybe twenty-five for pot, maybe I don't know. And then like just you can just use all drugs at certain ages. Like once you get to seventy-five, cocaine's just legal. Like ecstasy, sixty-five. <laughs> Like, once you get to 85, just if you can come up with it, you can ingest it. We just don't, just, that's fine. You can just buy it at Walgreens. Here, how old are you? 76? Here's your tackle box. This one has ketamine in it. This one has some crack in it. Here's a little mushroom right here. It doesn't taste very good, so stick it inside of a strawberry or something before you eat it. <laughs> yeah, and, um, yeah, the come down's kind of weird, so here's like a week because it was so lost. Arthur was tripping balls. He was. I think Arthur's still around when this party gets started. I don't think so. I think we're doing that line of coke off of some uh, (laughs) male prostitutes uh, eight pack. um, If we can afford that, seventy six. I'm not sure what fantasy you're coming up with, but it's not going quite far enough. Yeah, we're cashing in that uh, retirement account because we're not expecting to go very much longer for using everything in this kit. Can you imagine visiting Grandma after that? So what did you do last night, Graham? I'm oh. sorry, visiting Grandma during that and asking her to share. <laughs> <laughs> Grandparents and their grandkids have never been closer. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, you know it's Wednesday. Agnes, Myrtle, and the knitting crew came over and we just... 
we put on some dead moss and tripped balls for three hours. It was great. Dead <laughs> moss. We're joking, by the way, if people are listening and taking this seriously. This is a joke for Oh, I'm going to have to have a warning at the beginning of this. I'm going to write this down. We need a warning at the beginning of this and, episode. And if anybody's getting all fired up, is this idea really worse than sending a bunch of people back to a school in crowded classrooms during a pandemic? Is it worse? I want to know. If it's seriously worse <laughs> I don't think it is. I don't think this is any, I mean, I think I gave it more thought than anybody else did. When we were like, yeah, just send everybody back to school. It's fine. Here's some hand sanitizer. To, not to go back to the corona thing, but it's like, you've got, you've got like, we shut down the entire country when there was like eight cases. Like, every school is closed. And now it's like, good luck, sucker. Yeah. I don't know if you're a doctor or anything and your doctor school taught you anything about herd immunity, but I did watch half a YouTube video about it the other day, and it all makes very much sense to me. Oh. If you want herd immunity for there to be lasting immune system memory, we haven't even established that one yet. Yeah. It's on the mind. What can you say? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that should be the title, On the Mind with the Epinephrine. On the Mind. That's right. I feel like this. every episode is just it's like we, we start off with a subject and then it's just down the tangent hole after tangent hole after tangent hole. <laughs> We're talking about questions people ask. Oh, yeah. Is that how we got this started? We got there. We got there. Everything is content. You guys ever get questions about side effects of medications and you're like, how? Oh, you. (laughs) Yeah, right. Can you come talk to this person? And it's like, thank you. for. They're really concerned about side effects. So can you go tell them everything, but also nothing that will scare them? Yes. Thank you. They're very nervous. I need them to take this medication that is literally a life and death thing. I'm sending them home. I need them to take it. They're also very scared of taking anything new. So um, if you could just go, you know, fix that. Get some charts to sign. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Side effects are less than 1% of those mm-hmm. who take medicine. They're for sure going to be that less than 1%. Well, they say that. They're like, oh, if there's a side effect, I got it. Every mm-hmm. time, yes. That's what I always ask about anal leakage because that is always a side effect of medications because I don't know who does these studies, but somebody always has anal leakage. And I'm like, well, it says here that 5% have anal leakage. Have you experienced that? Wow. <laughs> look at the side effect. Like, I take Excedrin when I get bad headaches, but that's got caffeine in it. So I got to look at the side effect profile for that. It's going to be like, might be jittery, might not fall asleep. It's good. It'll list. I, I'm going to do this right now. All right. Talk amongst yourself. I've got to do some Googling. Talk amongst yourself. <laughs> Blenda too that has like explosive diarrhea as a side effect. <laughs> I like that the gummy bears where you can get the sugar free ones. Have you seen that the oh, reviews for that? Yeah. People are like these taste amazing, and then all of a sudden it's like never mind. Don't eat the whole gummy bears. Oh, we got a new colonoscopy prep going then. Yeah, seriously, eat these. People would enjoy that more. It would be cheaper. Kind of like more gradual, like too, because you just be like, okay, you've got this two pound bag of gummy bears. You just need to eat them over the next week. <laughs> I think we could make another career right now and be like, listen, you have to drink three glasses of water and eat this bowl of gummy bears, and that's your prep. We could just rebrand them. I mean, it's it's a, if we use it as a medicine, it just costs you know a hundred times more. There you go. We buy these gummy bears in bulk, and we call it, you know, these are Brant's Bowlos. <laughs> Really? Wow, they, t- they even taste good. Oh, yeah, yeah. They mm. taste good now, don't they? <laughs> Just and don't leave the house. Yeah. 
Literally, don't go anywhere. <laughs> Seriously, don't go anywhere. You know, we could put like packs of these little gummy bears in the Pixis machine, and then I mean, what percentage of our complaints are constipation? Seriously, which is in the They'll mouth. go off once they find out what the gummy bears you have. <laughs> That's right. You want me to eat these while I'm sitting here? Yes, yes, I do. No, no, no. When you get home, otherwise you're gonna. Should they have me drink a fizzy drink? This is better. <laughs> drink the fizzy drink and then eat these gummy bears and don't leave your house. I think we've had this conversation before, which is the, the worst name medication in the history of medicine, which is, of course, go lightly. Isn't that yours, Baz? It should be go explosively or, you know, go tremendously. <laughs> go destroy your bathroom. <laughs> I still think Eurospaz is a good drug name. What? I don't even... Eurospaz? Eurospaz. U-R-I-S-P-A-S. Is it... What is it? <laughs> it, it treats frequent urination <laughs> like it's a... Um, <laughs> it's a urinary antispasmodic. You're a spaz. That's hilarious. You're a spaz. <laughs> I know, but let's talk about poop more. <laughs> no. I think we did it yet again. I think we, I mean, I don't know how much we talked about the question. What was the question again? Was there a question about the question? The question was, yeah, I don't know. I could, I could go on for like questions we've gotten on STD calls for a while, but that might be a separate, a whole separate episode. <laughs> Well, thank you guys so much. This has been, I mean, for those of you listening in the background, we just, we did a a whole bunch of these in a row and it was fantastic. But for now, we're going to call that an episode. Thank you for listening to episode four. Next week, we've got a story about taking care of people outside the ER, possibly on an airplane. Listen in then and we'll see you next time. Well, we just solved all of healthcare, so let's move on to... Yeah, that's right. We got it.